Well, let's welcome you back to Systematically Wild. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy Kevin Luco out there. And Kevin, uh, interesting week throughout the uh, Minnesota Wild system. Big club with a split during the week. Iowa Wild, though, the team that looked pretty good, especially coming away with two victories in three games this week. Well, you know, for a three-game homestand, that was a pretty tough draw for Iowa getting a good Milwaukee team in and then a Texas team that has perennially been a team that gives them trouble home or on the road. So to come out of that with two out of three, it was pretty good. You know, you always got to like that too, Kevin, for division games because in a way it's kind of a four-point swing. You're ensuring that they don't get two points and you come away with two. So you hurt them and help yourself greatly at the same time. And uh, as you mentioned, Milwaukee is a team that traditionally they've had some struggles with. And you got Texas, who they've really had struggles with over the last six, seven years, and have come and come away with a split at home, especially after a very tough Saturday performance for the club. So you got to like the rebound performance on Sunday. I was very impressed with the way they played on Sunday. I felt like the did an effective job of shutting down the Texas first line. That was just absolutely dominant in the Saturday night victory for the Stars. Well, let's talk about the Thursday game first, Kevin. A, a beautiful performance by Jesper Ball said he stops 30 of 31 shots in a late morning school day game for the Iowa Wild that drew, I believe, almost 10,000 fans, a bunch of screaming kids out there. So that's always fun and entertaining for the players to get to enjoy a crowd that's totally into the game. Um, but nice performance by Volstead, who, who looks like he's going to get the bulk of the work as far as the coaching staff is seeing. He did nab two out of the last three games, so maybe that's going to be the trend. Granted, you did have a day off between Thursday games and Saturday, but they still went with McIntyre on Saturday night so maybe maybe it's still going to be a wee bit of a timeshare we shall see Simon Johansson gets the first goal of the game scoring 12 seconds before the end of the first period uh, Milwaukee is able to tie the score when they deliver a shorthanded goal 14-36 into the second but Stephen Fogarty delivers a power play goal a little over two minutes later to give Iowa the lead for good Andy Walensky with an empty net tally with a little over a minute left in the contest seals the victory. Nice victory over Milwaukee and just a, a solid performance for the club and in a tough battle for Iowa against Milwaukee. And I think with that, it was a pretty good confidence builder for the club also to get a, to get a nice win over a quality divisional opponent. Well, you would hope that that would build some momentum for Saturday, but it didn't. Uh, Texas comes to town. Unfortunately, Iowa has to face wild killer Matthew Murray, who looks spectacular again against the Iowa Wild. Texas comes away with a 4 nothing victory. You know, if you put the way Matthew Murray played against Iowa and put that kind of performance on any goalie in the NHL, you would, you would have a goalie that would be in line to win the Vesna Trophy. It is just amazing the run that Matthew Murray has had against the Iowa Stars. I'm sorry, Iowa Wild. We don't have a swear jar, yeah. do we? <laughs> I think that he's had uh, at least six or seven shutouts in the four seasons that he's played against the Wild. It's, it's, it's amazing how this guy is able to shut down Iowa. And it continued on 
Saturday, of course, Kevin Luca was there at that game. Uh, Curtis McKenzie gives his team the only goal that they need, scoring 133 into the second. Maverick Bork adds a goal th- about three minutes later, and they add two more in the third to seal this victory. Uh, just a, a, a solid performance from Murray. Stops 30 shots in the contest. McIntyre didn't look ter- terrible, Kevin, but uh, unfortunately when your offense doesn't score for you, you're not going to come away with any victories out of it. The defense did a good job in the first period in limiting the um, grady opportunities for the Stars, but in the second period it seemed like the Stars were finding ways to get chances in the front of the net and converted. Uh, Maverick Bork had a big game for them. Bork was their number one pick a year or two ago, and Curtis McKenzie also had a good game. I think it's McKenzie's 25th year in the AHL or something like that. Where I was at, I saw scouts for Anaheim, Vancouver, Colorado. So you got to wonder if you know a guy like a Maverick Bork, if that's a guy they could be eyeing up in a trade if Dallas stays on the roll that they are and becomes a Stanley Cup contender. And let's say they want someone like a, let's say a Brock Besser from Vancouver. Well, Maverick Bork is a guy that could be a piece in a trade with uh, with Dallas. So, no, that might be something we revisit come trade deadline next March. I can't imagine they were looking at too much with Iowa because not because Iowa doesn't have talent, but just because. Minnesota just doesn't have the cap space to make many deals right now. So I imagine those scouts are there looking at Texas. On Sunday was a, a nice rebound contest for the for the Wilds, Kevin, but an amazing battle of special teams early on as both teams come away with power play goals. Iowa scores 21 seconds before the end of the first period when Jake Lucchini scores his fourth goal of the season on the power play. Stephen Fogarty extends the lead to two with his third tally of the year, 229 into the second. Then you have Bork coming up with his fifth goal of the year, a power play goal for Texas to make it two to one. And uh, the Texas Stars had one more power play goal with 247 left in the third in the second period when Leon Bichelle winds up with his first goal of the season. Man, I was just, you know, I know the Iowa Wild power, uh, excuse me, shorthanded situations has not been great this season, but I was thinking, wow, both teams really seem to have their way with that special teams early on. And on that second power play goal by Texas, there was a two-on-one break for, I believe, Jujar Kara and I think Jake Luchini. And they were not able to convert on that. And it's like Texas in, in the transition came right back down and scored. So, you know, if Iowa gets the goal there on the on the two-on-one, you know, we're looking at a completely different game. Iowa's going to have all the momentum. Yeah, the shorthanded goal plus, you know, a two-goal advantage at that point. But the team doesn't uh, let that give, letting that lead slip away bother them, Kevin. As Adam Beckman gives the team the lead for good, 9-16 into the third. Greg Mieralis. Mierless, I believe I'm saying that right, um, scores the empty net goal with a little under two minutes left in the contest. Nice rebound victory for Iowa as Jesper Volstead with a solid performance, stops 27 shots in net, and you come away with a 2-1 week for the team. Just a huge goal for Adam Beckman in the third period because Beckman had just 
I can't count how many opportunities he had against Murray, and Murray just would not let him get one by him. So I thought it was huge for Beckman to get that goal in the third period. Not only was it the game winner, but it was the first five on or uh, first even strength goal that the Wild scored since I believe um, would have been maybe the first period on Thursday afternoon. So to me, that's a little bit of an area of concern. Good that the Wild power play connected twice on Sunday, but you would um you. You gotta imagine they want to see more out of this team five on five. Yeah, absolutely. Simon Johansson's third goal of the season, 1948, and the first was on Thursday, as Kevin said, was the last even strength goal of the team. Two empty net goals, three power play goals in between there, and uh, that's you know you talked about this with the Minnesota Wild a bit last season, Kevin. Is that it's great that your special teams is clicking. But, you know, you're not always on the power play. You're always killing penalties. So you got to be able to produce. I would I would gather 60% of your goals, 50% of your goals need to be when you're even strength at some point. And so um, that, that, that might be a little bit of a cause for concern for the Iowa Wild here early on. And, and I get it. It's tough when, you're, when it's five on five. That's a lot of bodies on the ice. And in today's game where these players are so big, there's just – Sometimes there's just not a lot of room to work with, but, you know, both teams have the same goal, and they just got to find a way to create some offense, get some pucks on the net, go in and bang after them, and try to cash in. How many cliches with that? <laughs> one. Iowa ends the week, Kevin, four, five, and one. They are with nine points, uh, holding third place on their own right now as Rockford and Texas lead atop with 10 points in the division. Texas played two more games in Rockford. How about those Rockford Ice Hogs, though, Kevin? Five and two through the first seven games of the season. You know, they had a nice run at the end of last year and carrying carrying it into this year. I'm sort of surprised by that. I thought with the influx of younger players up to the parent club that maybe the, the Ice Hogs would suffer a bit because of it, but it, that does not seem to be the case. And I tell you, with the way um, the way that Dylan Sakura is struggling with Chicago, don't be surprised if you're going to see him back down with the Ice Hogs at back to rising the AHL again in the near future. We're going to get a good look at them on Friday, Kevin, as the Wild travel to Rockford to take on the Ice Hogs on Friday, then head across town to take on the Chicago Wolves on Saturday. Uh, and two more incredible battles out there in that Central Division. So. Um, a potential to gain a little bit of ground on Rockford while also Chicago kind of really struggling here, 1-5 and 2 through the early part of the season, throw a little dirt on their grave early on here. You have to wonder the whole thing with Chicago going independent, if that's um, been a detriment to the team in the early going. I thought the roster looked pretty good going into the season, though I know a lot of guys on the team were in NHL training camps and didn't get to Chicago until later on in the training camp. So you got to wonder if Chicago's just trying to find their timing. Well, you know, the thing about it too, Kevin, is 30 goals allowed by this team, which isn't 
ridiculously bad. And that's not great. But when you're only getting 19 goals from your, your offense out there, and this is a league that you're not winning a bunch of games 5-1 to one or 5-2 to two out here. You're, you're a lot of times winning 4-2 to two games or 3-1 to one contests. And so that their 19 goals is just not going to do it for you. And until that offense gets going, I think Chicago is really going to struggle. And it's not like they got a parent club that's going to send them help either. They're going to have to, I don't know, find guys that have become free agents or guys that are lighting up the ECHL to come in and try to provide a spark. So, But nobody said it was going to be easy when this team decided to go without an affiliate. Nope, that's a sensational point by you there, Kevin. Well, let's jump down to the ECHL club. The Iowa Heartlanders traveled to Cincinnati this weekend, Kevin, and battled back in a nice contest that they lost 5-4 to four to the Cincinnati Cyclones on Friday, but then got hammered on Saturday. And four goals, I'm, I'm going to start on the positive here, four goals in both those contests, that, you know, that was that was a four-day week for them last season to come up with eight goals. And so, I mean, you got to feel pretty good about where the offense is sitting a little early on here. You can, but sometimes in these games, too, uh, I'm not sure how it uh, all unraveled on Friday. I know the the Heartlanders got down on Saturday, and sometimes when there's a pretty big lead, the team with the lead gets a little bit lax defensively and sometimes will allow a goal or two that they normally would not allow if they were playing their systems correctly, and they were completely focused. So factor that in, too. Well, this was a, a, a really solid test for the club on Friday as they wound up trailing for most of this contest, gave up a goal 10-32 in the contest, responded with two goals of their own to wind up taking the lead. Cincinnati able to tie the score with a little less than two minutes left in the first, and then the Heartlanders were chasing all the rest of the game. Uh, Cincinnati retook the lead, 322 in the second, but Nick Campoli scores to tie the game about five minutes later. The Cyclones regained the lead just before the end of the second period, but once again, Heartlanders scored just before the midpoint of the third period to tie the game, wind up losing in overtime. Um, A game, though, I thought, you're, you're down practically all game long. You get a fairly decent performance. Hunter Jones winds up giving five goals on 32 shots. So what I, I'm, I got to say at this point, man, you and I have been talking about his, him for it seems like a hundred years now, um, but I, I like this kid a lot, Kevin. I really do. I just wonder when there's a point where five goals is just this just too much for this kid that's got all kinds of talent and a lot of expectations on him to be given up in an ECHL game. Just seems like a lot, and I know there's not a great team in front of him, but. You know, he's, he's got to win some games. He's got to steal some games for this team. And that's a factor, too, that you mentioned. You know, what kind of goals is he giving up? It's, you know, if he is, these goals are backdoor goals because um, a guy's not picking up his man, then, you know, you really can't pin in on the goalie. I almost wish there was a stat out there for goalies that, for, like, where they keep track of how many – goals were considered savable and which ones were not. And I think that would be a more telling statistic for how a goaltender really is playing. 
On Saturday, Cincinnati jumps out with three first-period goals. Hunter Jones back in the net started this contest. And then they went to Peyton Jones. started with Peyton Jones. Yeah, yeah, they're right. They go to Peyton Jones after the first period. Uh, I believe that's the way this came down, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong, but I'm not. Um, yeah, it was, it was Hunter Jones in the first part of this contest who gave up the three goals. Yeah, he gave up the third one at 1241, and then he came out. Then it was Peyton Jones from there. Um, Iowa continue the battle back. I mean, you know, again, I think this is a very gutsy team in terms of not giving up because, you know, they score a goal early uh, in the second. Cincinnati responds, then they respond, then Cincinnati responded, Iowa responded. It was back and forth kind of thing. This team was always able to cut the deficit to two. But eventually, Cincinnati pulls away. There's two more power play goals late in this contest to win nine to four. Peyton Jones gives up 19, or stops 19 of 25 shots. Hunter Jones left after giving up three goals on nine shots in the contest. And I, yeah, I'd be, I thought goaltending was really going to be a strength of this team. But Jones and Jones are not, not real, and you know, not really doing the job. I, I think you're partially right, though, too, Kevin. Is that they're giving up a lot of odd man chances, and it, that's tough for a goaltender at any level. Yeah, I'm looking at this. Um, Cincinnati was two for five on the power play, so I mean, it's two goals are with the man advantage, also. So there is that. Wednesday, Kalamazoo will come to town to begin a three game set against the club. They also have Thursday and Saturday contests as well. Uh, against Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo entering into this series with the team. I'm going to scroll down here a little bit. i got to get over here to the west. There we go. I should have had this up already. Kalamazoo right now at 3-3-0. The Iowa Heartlanders 0-4-2 through the first six games of the season. This team is just a different club at home. They've been that way for the first couple of years here. Not a great road team is, is the understatement of the year, but Hopefully they can come away and get that first victory of the season with Kalamazoo coming in for three. You know, it's a golden opportunity for this club when you look at those standings. Even with at 4 and two, you're only four points out of fourth place. Heck, you're only four points out of third. So Fort Wayne does have a game in hand. So if you can run the table on the Kalamazoo, now you've now you've put them in your rearview mirror a bit, and now you're you know, you are making some noise on the third and fourth place teams in the division. So I'd say it's a very big weekend for the Heartlanders coming up. Absolutely. You know, Toledo and Wheeling both off to fast starts in this division right now. And it's very early in the season. But there's plenty of room for this club to really be able to do some damage. Um, unfortunately, I've been losing a few players up there to the Iowa Wild this week, Kevin, as there's been quite a bit of shuffling going on there. So um uh, be interesting to see if they can get at some guys that come back for Wednesday and Thursday at least to help out on that um, this team get a little more offensive production and play a little bit better defensively. Right now, it looks like the young blue line, uh, a group trying to build some cohesion and chemistry together right now, and unfortunately, the goaltenders are paying for that. You have to wonder if they are going to lose another forward to Iowa as Nick Batan was called up to Minnesota today to travel with the team on their three-game road trip to the east this week. So you got to wonder if I was just going to go with another guy that they already have or if they are going to 
call another body up from the Heartlanders. So we'll see how that transpires. The jumping up to the big club now, Kevin. The Metropolitan Division swing continued this this past week as the club headed to take on New Jersey last Thursday, a five three loss. Then went to Madison Square Garden on Saturday where they come away with a five four victory uh, in a shootout. Both are both in St. Paul. Oh my oh I'm sorry about that. So okay, so we're at home. I apologize I'm saying those the wrong way. Uh this week they're on the road on the Metropolitan Division. Okay, my bad about that. Sorry about that. But uh drop to New Jersey. Not any, you know, disappoint. I mean, you always want to win at home, but New Jersey's playing very good hockey. It's been very good so far this season. And a 5-4 victory over New York and a shootout, come away 1-1 one one during the week. And uh, so overall thoughts at this point? Overall thoughts is this team's got to find a way to to start games because they put themselves in a – Three o hole right away against the Devils on Thursday, and they played well the rest of the way. But it was just continually just trying to get back even with a very talented Devils club, and it's just not a bad, not a not a good recipe for success coming back against that sort of a talented team. So the key for Minnesota was just play well in the first period, and then you get. You get to Saturday night, they played well. They dominated shots on goal, but they gave up three more, and this time they were able to battle back. But at least on Saturday, they were playing well. They just weren't getting any bounces, but they did show a lot by sticking with the game and then coming back and winning in a shootout. Yeah, it's interesting that, Three goals, uh, two in the first against New Jersey on Thursday, and then they give up an early second-period goal. The Rangers come away with three nothing lead heading out of the first six, a little less than seven minutes in the contest. They were already up three nothing, and I and I I wonder what is especially at home. What what does the team do to try to get that wake up call, get the the bell rung a little early or something? That just seems stunning at home to wind up falling behind that early in both of those contests. I think maybe it's a, it's a leadership issue with this team, you know, with Jared Spurgeon being out the entire year thus far, that maybe there needs to be a loud voice in that locker room that just gets his team riled up and ready to go. You know, say what you want about Matt Dumba and Ryan Reeves, but those guys are two guys that spoke up in that locker room and got that team going and got on the roll that they needed to get on last year to get into the playoffs. And, Without both of them there, somebody's got to be that guy to get the guys revved up. So just a matter of who that person is going to be. Well, starting on Thursday, after falling behind 3 nothing, Kaprizov and, and Rossi score goals to make this a one-goal game. New Jersey able to extend the lead back to two before Middleton gets his second goal of the season. New Jersey able to close out the contest with uh, a goal, 38 seconds left in the game to seal the 5-3 victory. It, it's a contest where uh, this this group of Iowa Wild players has moved up here. Boldy with two assists, Rossi with a goal and an assist in the game, Addison with an assist. Kaprizov, who was having a lot of assists early on, Kevin, has been finally getting on the score sheet and the goals as well. So, you know, having another solid season early on for the team. It was good to see him get in the scoring column again. I couldn't believe when they announced the goal that it was only his third of the season. But 
you know, within that, after the first period against the Devils, um, Dean Everson did shake up all the lines, and you, for a good part of the rest of the game, you did, had a line with Kaprizov skating with Matt Boldy and Marco Rossi. So, you know, and the edited lines did have success on Saturday night too. So it'll be interesting to see going forward what the how the lines are going to shake out for this club. After falling behind 3-0 on Saturday, Ryan Hartman scores his seventh goal of the season. A little less than six minutes in the second, Erickson Eck gets his sixth goal to pull the team within one. Then a, a, an outstanding start to the third period. Zuccarello with his third. Rossi comes up with his fifth to make it a 4-3 to three, uh, Minnesota lead. New York is able to tie the game about a minute 20 after the Rossi goal, but Minnesota comes up with a victory in the shootout. So. Boldy with the eventual winner there, it looked like, Kevin. So, um, y- y- great comeback. And if you're, if you're a little disappointed about the fact of them not being able to hold on to that one-goal lead, I-, I think you're really you're celebrating. I mean, you could have got blown out falling behind 3 nothing that early in the contest, and you come back and still wind up winning the game. And the thing you mentioned with all, with all four of the goals in regulation, they were all scored near the net. Those guys going to the net, making stuff happen. And I think that's a good sign that this team gets its lunch pail like identity back again and not um, trying to do so much off the rush. So that was a good sign. Maybe a little luck on the side in the shootout with Boldy hitting the pipe on the shootout attempt and then having it bounce off Jonathan Quick and back into the net. But, you know, at this point you take whatever you can get Yeah, and the thing about it, too, Kevin, Flurry with 13, 14 shots on net, he saved 13 of those. Gustafson gave up three goals on just four shots in that contest. Flurry, boy, he, I mean, didn't really face a lot of shots, but was able to keep the team back into the game after, you know, Gustafson really struggled early on in this contest. Looking at I, I, I'm a little surprised. I understand three goals on four shots. You, you I, I might not think that's your goaltender's night. Okay, but that's, that seemed like a pretty quick hook to me. Uh, were you surprised by that move? Well, not really. You know, the first two goals were defensive breakdowns, but the third one was one that Gus would have liked to have back. You know, at that point, you, you think frustration may be settling in with him, so... And it could be a move to get the team focused, too. But if you get a chance, folks, um, go back and watch the save that Marc-Andre Fleury makes to preserve the shootout win because I don't know about anyone either. else, but my, my groin was hurting just watching him. Go back there for a minute. You said, if you, folks, if you get the chance, and then I lost him. Go back and watch Mark Andre Fleury's save on the what ended up being the game winning save in the shootout because the toll save he made, um any one of us, we we you would have had to peel us off the ice afterwards. But Fleury stretched as far as he could and managed to make an incredible save to preserve the shootout victory. Oh, are you talking about one of those that would have left me in traction for a month? Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
Kevin, four, five, and two through the first 11 games for the Minnesota Wild here. Um, they are tied for sixth place with Nashville. Both teams have played 11 games at this point. Um, Dallas looks like they're going to be the, you know, them in Colorado. Are they going to be the, the cream of the crop here, so to speak, early on this year? And, and we're probably battling for first place in this division. So Minnesota, though, has a very good opportunity. I'm not very impressed with what Winnipeg has to offer. They always seem to be trouble to Minnesota, but not a great overall team. St. Louis, like, like they've taken a step back with some of the moves they made late last season. And, and, and Arizona, you just never know what you're going to get. So there's a very good shot this team still should find themselves at least in third or fourth place in this division. We need to see where these teams are at after we finally get some games within the division. There's just been weird scheduling this year where I don't know about the other teams, but Minnesota has played a ton of teams from out east and even the west so far. Not many games within the – not many, as Kevin Faulness would say, central division collisions so far this year. So I want to see some matchups within the central. And then I think we get a better read on who's going to be the teams that can finish third and fourth behind Dallas and Colorado. Well, speaking of that, Kevin, team travels out to take on the New York Islanders on Tuesday, then to Madison Square Garden on Thursday for a 6 o'clock central game against the New York Rangers, then on to the Buffalo Sabres on Friday. So the big New York swing for three games this week before finally coming home to welcome the Dallas Stars on Sunday, um, man, this is this could be a an incredibly brutal week, or as you like to mention, it's a week where you get an opportunity to be out on the road and hang out with your your team and really start to build some cohesion together, and and hopefully you're able to turn that into something. You know, I think it's a good chance that we we'll know a lot more about this team and how they do, and what I think is a really tough four game stretch. You know, the Islanders and Rangers are always going to give you a tough game. Buffalo seemed to be a team that Minnesota had had difficulties with, just a young, fast team. And then, you know, Dallas has been incredible once again. And, frankly, it's a, they're a Stanley Cup contender. So we'll see how, we'll see how the Wild fare against these four clubs. Interesting schedule coming up here. So after you finish with Dallas, team travels for a big series over across the pond, so to speak there, okay, Ottawa and, and Tampa Bay. But you have five days off before that series. Then you come home for four games against uh, – four days off, and then you have Colorado right after Thanksgiving before Detroit and then diving into your division. And – it, a lot of off days, a lot of travel days going on there, but it would be interesting to see what this team is able to generate with those kind of games coming up for them, especially none of those are going to be easy contests, especially traveling overseas to play. No, and, you know, there's just so many distractions. And granted, it's both clubs when you go on a trip like this, but to be playing an improved Ottawa club and then Toronto, who just Minnesota just has fits with. It's going to be a tough stretch. And then they have all that time off afterwards. If if you don't play well over there, you've just got all that extra time to stew upon how things went on this road trip. But then 
like you said, then it gets into a tough stretch of games uh, immediately after the time off between Sweden and Thanksgiving. Yeah, and December starts out with just a brutal schedule. <laughs> 11 games in, looks like about 19 days, 20 days or something there. And that's, you know, Calgary twice, Boston twice, uh, Edmonton, Pittsburgh, uh, a very improved Seattle Kraken team. Uh, I mean, wow. Uh, no night is an easy one. And it's, uh, you were fond of telling me is that they all wear uniforms and there's no easy nights here in the NHL these days. There is not. And, and it's um, it's going to be key for Minnesota to do well. You don't. They say by Thanksgiving break, you have a pretty good idea on who's going to make the playoffs. I don't buy into that as much. I would say, let's see how the teams are around Christmas or the first of the year. Then that's when we'll know if Minnesota is going to be a team that could be pushing for a playoff spot or could just be an also-ran. Well, Kevin, to close out the show, um, let's – since it's Veterans Day is coming, how about a, a good Minnesota Wild veteran player story? How does, how does that sound? Well, first of all, we didn't mention in the show, um, Jesper Volstad was named the AHL Player of the Week. That announcement came out on Monday afternoon, so we'd be remiss if we didn't bring that up. Oh, wild a vet. Trying to think there's hmm. Well Wes Walls I always think of someone that was a vet on the wild team and just how his playing career just wound down and it was he was always a hard player, played the game well, played within the system that Jacques Lemire taught him. But it was just kinda ironic that I believe his last goal in the NHL was when somehow a puck wound up in his breezers and then a player checked him into the net. And that I believe was his last goal in the NHL. So I thought that was for a guy that was a lunch bucket kind of player, it seemed to be appropriate for that to be his last goal. <laughs> I like that. Man, that. That's pretty cool. Fantastic. Kevin, thanks for joining me this week. My pleasure. Just one quick note before we close out this week's show. The Minnesota Wild made a couple of deals on Wednesday, uh, acquiring a defenseman from the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, as well as trading Kalen Allison to the San Jose Sharks. Kevin and I will return next week to discuss those trades, plus much more. But I just wanted to let you know out there, these trades came actually after he and I had recorded this week's show. Um, but we do we will address them and talk about them next week. So thank you for joining us again this week, and uh, we'll see you next week there on Systematically Wild.